Welcome to Deep Dead Source, your home for Kachiga Kachow. You two can look like me. Kachow. Uh, my name's Nathan, your most uh, three topics of exactly seven minutes apiece host. Uh, my name's Andy, your most not prepared for this introduction host. <laughs> and I'm Pat, your ohm host, the leader of the resistance. <laughs> to be fair, Andy did tell us before I started counting down <laughs> for the recording that he was not ready, and uh, he lived up to it, so I, I appreciate that. <laughs> nice. I, I did, I mentioned before that I always tell the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's true. Well, we had some weddings, and we are through them more or less now. How is everybody doing on the other side of those? Andy, you are a married man now. Yeah. Hey, Yay. congrats. I think we, we already talked about another episode, but your wedding was fantastic. It was it was a pleasure to be there, but also it was like a pleasure to be there. It was great. It turned out great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, like, I'm just so happy for you guys. Like, this is an exciting time in your lives. Absolutely. And as promised, there was a balloon guy. Yeah. There was a balloon guy. There was a balloon guy. And he did a great job. Everybody, all the adults loved it. <laughs> I think Absolutely. the kids also enjoyed it, but I, I saw like a much higher percentage of adults with balloons than kids. <laughs> the balloon hats were pretty right, great. Right, when yeah. people realized that balloon hats were an option, which mm-hmm. I believe... Charlie might have been the first one with a balloon hat. I don't remember exactly, but he... Oh, I uh, That really kicked up Charlie's dancing on the dance floor a notch. Well, and I'll tell you, in my experience, that is not a surprise at all. I could have scripted the way that that would go with the balloons. That when once a, the, the, the cincher for the adults is the hats. Everybody wants a hat. Absolutely. Um, sometimes they'll be like, a few adults who want, like, there'll be, like, a couple kind of childish adult men who want swords so that they can sword fight and pretend that it's their <laughs> penises, you know? Yeah, But, right. um, obviously. But <laughs> there's sometimes some, like, adult women who want something, like, cute or, or a laser gun with which to annoy their husband on the drive home. But, um, no, it's always the hats that really, that just every adult immediately needs one. <laughs> Sarah and I, for years, went to, there is an exceptional party that happens every year, at least (laughs) until COVID hit. But every year at the Cleveland Museum of Art, they have a huge uh, summer solstice party. And they bring in all kinds of bands. They have two stages, one inside, one outside. They have food. They have drinks. Everybody dresses up to the nines. uh, And it is a wonderful evening. But one of the things they do every year is they will hire these, I I want to call them artists, but they're, it's almost like balloon sculpture. So, for example, the minimum that they do every year is create these, I would say, three-story high, tall hats that move around the dance floor uh, outside when people are listening to the bands. And what they do is they use helium on the top level. So that way the hats are always, like the hats are heavy enough to stay stay on your head, but... They are light enough where they like will basically raise up to the sky and you're dancing and everybody can see you from anywhere outside. Oh, that's cool. So, so they always point up because of, of it being lighter Ex- at the top. Exactly. Uh, one year, there were uh, two different balloon artists, each one of which crafted a 
<laughs> a rock'em sock'em robot, like giant robot style uh, balloon armor. They're slugging it out. A left to the jaw and... Oh, my block is knocked off. But you can press it right back on. It's rock'em sock'em robots. That they put were able to put on people and people would have like giant balloon armor fights with each other. <laughs> like... <laughs> Wow. This stuff, like, next, absolutely next level stuff. And I, th- I think about that stuff all the time. Here's the thing. Your balloon artist did not do that stuff, but his hats were, were excellent. They were very good. And uh, mm. Charlie was a big, big fan. Good. I'm glad. Uh, well, we had a good time. Yeah, it was a blast. Like, Kayla and I had a, a good time ourselves, so that that's always nice. And it's not guaranteed either. <laughs> like although there's a lot of people who do not have a good time at their own wedding. Right. Right. Uh, we finally got to meet Aunt Maggie in person. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> out of nowhere, like in the back of my head, I had it that she was going to be there. And it was an absolute pleasure to talk to Aunt Maggie. She was great and she assured me that she's willing to do do the podcast again for some reason. Um, but the other person, despite, despite their experience, right? <laughs> but the other person who sort of ambushed me, cause I kind of like, I knew in the back of my head, she'd be there, but I wasn't thinking about it. Cause like I was stressed out about something else or whatever, but Angela just came up and gave me a big hug. And that was nice. Cause I'd never met her before, uh, in, uh, real in life person. IRL. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. It was a big day of firsts. Yeah. Of meeting people in person. And we yeah. we met, and we kind of know, uh, well, I think you guys know her husband pretty well, right? I had only met him because he did some role-playing with us for a little bit. He uh, did our D&D, but we got to meet uh, her husband, Drew, as well. And he was delightful. I think that was my first time meeting Drew in person. Yeah, yeah. I went to school with him. Cool. I can never keep track of all your connections. But anyway, we... I I feel like I hijacked your week thing. How has your guys' week been? The only eventful thing that happened to me this week was I got a screw in my tire, and Andy was nice enough to come out to my work and rescue me. It was a whole thing. Very but nice. Like the sh- the short version of the story is like we called AAA. Andy said he was coming. I canceled the AAA. Then we found out that my spare couldn't hold air and Andy's spare couldn't fit. And so we called AAA again, had them tow it. It it was a whole thing. But um yeah, Andy Andy was very nice and, and rescued That's me. That's awesome. So I appreciate him. I love yeah, that. There was definitely Thanks like for doing a, that, Andy. Oh yeah. I mean obviously. Um Well <laughs> I I didn't do it. I mean I didn't see that it was an option to do. But like <laughs> No, yeah, thank um, you very much. The, it would have sucked being uh, handling that by myself. I, I don't, I, I didn't even, I don't, I don't know. It's funny to me when people like are. I get that why people are grateful about stuff like that, but like, <laughs> I mean, it's one thing if you don't see the message in time, but like. Yeah, of course I'm going to come get you. That's not a question. And no, you're not giving me any money. Shut the fuck up. Just sit in the car. We're waiting for the tow truck. Quit making it weird. (laughs) Like, all right. I'm kidding. Um, I'm I'm just teasing a little bit. But, like, um, you know, I think that 
we we grow up in this culture where we're so immersed in this in our like our American culture where a lot of things that really don't shouldn't be are are kind of viewed transactionally, including friendships. A lot of people view friendships friendships based on like, well, what do you give me? What do I get out of our friendship? And what you know, what do I have to offer you? And like, it's not a transaction. It's just you you you. Like, it's one of these, like, weird things where, like, throughout life, <laughs> I've seen a few memes along this li- these lines, like, you just sort of, like, go around picking out a few humans who you're like, yeah, I like you, and just, that's it, that's all it is, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, if you need something, yeah. like, I'm gonna help, I'm not, it's not a thing that I need any sort of compensation for, because... When I have needed help, you, you, like, you, y'all, you showed up to help me move at least once. Um, I think twice. Yeah, that's twice. Yeah, well, at least one of those you know, times, like, that's how, that's how you and I met. Like, I, I met Pat because yeah, I showed yeah. up to help you move one time. That's how right. this whole thing came about. And that's, yeah. True. You're welcome. So, True like, facts. Uh, <laughs> Andy really is the glue that holds everyone together. I say it. Andy is a river that runs through it. Eventually, all things merge into one. And a river runs through it. <laughs> I say over and over again that my greatest quality is th- that I have a lot of really cool friends. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> I look forward to meeting them someday. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. B- b- bazinga. Anyway. <laughs> yeah anyway no problem anything Happy anything help. happened in your week andy um my buddy got a screw in his tire and oh, that, <laughs> yeah, sucks. That, that can happen yeah 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 that's um, a shame mm-hmm. well so we we are trying to do a lightning round episode today <laughs> andy did you get your did you get your say that you wanted in about your week probably <laughs> okay. Let me. Okay. I don't. I don't want to move on without that. But um, I. You know. I also. I actually haven't. Re- and if I could just really quick. Um, oh, you haven't at all. No. Oh, I'm sorry. Because we talked about Andy's wedding, and then we talked. Yeah. We we been, we spent about 20 minutes on at, Andy's wedding. We've been at it for 20 minutes. All right. Hold <laughs> on. For I'm the gonna, record, for the record, Nathan brought it up. I did not. That is true. And <laughs> I acknowledge true. that I hijacked Andy's yeah. Andy the topic so, for Andy's week. So just because it was about my wedding, don't blame it on me. Right. <laughs> so speaking of weddings though, uh really exciting my uh stepson Alex got married to a wonderful woman and uh we had the ceremony this last weekend and everything went perfectly to the point where like it, we had the wedding on Friday, and on Sunday, I'm still waiting for, like, something to go wrong. Like, something has to go wrong, right? Like, there's going to be something that's going to cause a bunch of stress, and we'll, like, figure it out. But nothing went wrong, and it's Tuesday uh, now, and we just got a call from uh, the other side of uh, Alex, my stepson's family, and it turns out they got COVID. Oh, oh no. Right, so we might have had a super spreader event, and uh, yikes! That makes me feel a whole bunch of things. Yeah, that's not good. But you're fully vaxxed, though. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm fully vaxxed, and I have antibodies running around my body. I'm not super worried about myself. I also know the vast majority of people at that wedding 
were vaccinated, which means the severity of what they get, if they get anything, will probably be very low. Hmm. But, I mean, my sister was there. My mom was there. And Hmm. they're both vaccinated, but my nephews aren't. They're both way too young. So what does that mean? You know, like there's, it's just like, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, it was just like, we, we tried to make it safe as much as we could, but we still had a, a big event in the middle of a pandemic. And yeah, I don't know. It's like, I'm, I'm feeling a whole bunch of different ways about it right now, but it I is what it is. Am I also you that like the month leading up to my wedding, I was feeling all sorts of things about that. And, and was like, I know that, like, the smart thing to do, the responsible thing to do, I should say, would be to cancel this thing or, you know, do something because we can't, um, we shouldn't probably be having this event. Yeah. But, um, but, like, at the same time, the cost of canceling it would be massive. Right. I mean, to the point where... Yeah, to the point where if you canceled that event, you probably wouldn't be able to have it again. Like, it's not... The expense of it isn't... Like, you couldn't duplicate it. Right. You know? Not, not, so, not easily. Yeah. And we were in the same position, and people had already booked their flights and stuff like that. So, I mean, I can tell you uh, they were thinking about it right up until the week of, but it just... It wasn't... It didn't make any sense. So... Yeah. So, anyway, uh, today... We're having a lightning round. There's a bunch of stuff to talk about, and uh, I say we go ahead and start. Uh, I believe it's time to roll some dice, gentlemen. I got 2d6. All right. Did you guys prepare? I mean, uh, I prepared in that I have a, I have a web browser in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I prepared in that way. Oh, that's yeah, fair. Same. That's fair. Uh, I rolled... <clears throat> okay. Uh, I, I, should I let you guys know what I rolled? Should we all roll at the same time? Hey, well, no. I think I'm going first, gents. Oh, yeah? Double sixes. Oh, oh that's shit. cool. Hey, guess what? Double sixes, baby! <laughs> wow, that seems improbable. Well, I guess we'll roll off. You calling me a liar? Well, if the boot fits... Say that again. If the boot fits. Hold on. Oh, oh wait, guess wait. what? Let's, let's go ahead and print screen here. Guess we'll what? We'll go ahead and... Did you get double sixes? I got a six and a two. Ah. <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, no, I believe no, you. I'm just, I just annoying. like I don't. I don't care about a screenshot. I believe that it happened. Too late. But there it is. <laughs> that All right. Let's do this again. Doobly do, folks. All right. Three. All right. I got a seven. And I got a five. Damn it! All right, you you win. So I think you cool. you you get choice. Do you want to go first? Or you want to go last, or you want to go uh, middle? I don't I guess. even es- I don't even especially want to go first, so I'll go last. Okay, there we go. Uh, Andy, I'm going to choose to go middle, so uh, you get to go first. But I lost. All right. Yeah, and I'm thus so- you got <laughs> you got the worst placement, which is first. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, in all fairness, audience, it was a little bit of a struggle for me to come up with some topics. So just deal with it i don't know 
Um, mm, okay. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that right. seems unnecessary. Yeah, insult our audience more. <laughs> I'm not insulting them. I'm just telling them that like these aren't that most of the topics I I like that were at the top of my list were already grabbed by the other two. So that's all. These are like uh, bottom of the list topics for me, which is fine. But always I the don't straight shooter. Really know the most about it. So here we go. We're going to kick it off with an update on hashtag free Britney. It's Britney, bitch. Okay, we, bow, 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 bow. we use a sound clip for that instead of me. Um, okay, a couple, three <laughs> things that I know about that happened, but I think, Nathan, you had something else to add. So first up is her father filed to end the conservatorship. Secondly, she got engaged. And third, she is... Of apparently taking a break from Instagram, which as not really an Instagram user, I don't super care, but tip of the hat for taking a step away from social media in general. That's never a bad thing. Yeah, but she's doing a lot better than when she had this conservatorship oh, yeah. in the first place. No, like her really mental well. health is in a lot better place. She's managing her own I mean, so, yeah, she's she's in a a good relationship apparently, you know, which that's got to be a hard thing after everything she's been through to trust someone like that. That's great. I'm really happy for her. The updates that I had. I hope that no one uh, throws a fly in this ointment. <laughs> um, the update that I had is before he actually released the conservatorship, her father requested a two million dollar stipend. Uh, so that way he can continue living the uh, the quality of life that he had been living up till that point. Britney Spears's lawyer claims her dad, Jamie Spears, is trying to extort millions to step down as conservator of her estate. So I don't know actually if he got that $2 million or not. And my guess is if he did get that $2 million, we'll never know because hmm. my guess is it would be sealed. But well, yeah, and he'll f off into nothingness. Yeah, even as he was walking away, he's still a son of a bitch. It's amazing. Yeah. Um. Also, like, I like some Britney songs. Toxic is definitely a banger. But Womanizer. Yeah, but pretty good. Also, I kind of don't care about Britney. If I'm being like fully honest, I kind of don't care about Britney. I care about her well, and was... that she's a person who is deserving of respect and rights and everything like that. But I think the interesting exactly. the interesting thing about this is it is not uncommon from what I understand for these types of conservatorships to be wildly disproportionate to uh, have people take them over who do not have the best interests of the people that they're supposed to be serving. Yeah, and well, so this has put a spotlight on that issue in a way that it never could have, like nothing else right. could have. And so other people are be being able to stand up for themselves. And uh, I think that's great. I think that's really yeah. great. And I mean, I think it's great that Britney has a better life, but I think it's really great that all kinds of people are having better lives because these conservatorships are being looked at again when they haven't been in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, certainly always good to see, I mean, not that justice was actually provided, you know, given to Brittany through the courts. Um, right. Just through social That was pressure. never an option. <laughs> Apparently not. But, like, we also know that conservatorship was never the right thing to slap on her in the first place, that it's, it's designed for end-of-life care. So it's not designed mm -hmm. to be ended, to be lifted, except by the person dying. Yeah, so, like, it tends to be open-ended. It's not supposed and, to stop. 
Right. So there's a lot of reasons why it, this was just a whole big mess. But it, you're right. It, it projected a big problem, a big issue into the national spotlight. Um, and I'm glad that things seem to be working out for Brittany because she deserves to live a good life like any human does. I don't know her personally. And I... You know, I just <laughs> if anybody listening like, does though we would love to have her on the pod definitely but um sure. you know general humanitarian well wishes but i you know no personal attachment to her but but also i i just like i appreciate and rec- want to recognize and, and cast further light on uh some of the other things that are being exposed through this whole drama well and it's also to to people that would not know about these sorts of things it's always really sad to see like like a child actor or like a music star, like a singer, um, getting exploited by their parents or, or people who are supposed to be guardians over them, that they exploit them for money. This is a story that we've seen over and over again, especially with child actors where, um, like the people who are in charge of the money just do not have right the person they are guardian over their best interest at heart which is terrible to see and it like tears families apart and like people have to like sue uh for their own like custody and stuff it's terrible mm-hmm. mm. so this also happened to and <laughs> i watched a movie about it so like maybe i don't know that much but <laughs> brian wilson of the beach boys <laughs> this same thing happened to him mm-hmm. for in the 80s for years and years and years Basically, someone got control not uh, only of his money, but like everything about him. Like, was able to control what medication he took. It was a it was a doctor, it was a, a quack psychiatrist, who was able to control what kind of medication, who could talk to him, whether he could be in a relationship. All these different things was intre- incredibly controlling of Brian Wilson's life, and eventually, because of. Uh, Again, according to the movie, so, like, maybe I don't know that much. From New York, Diane Sawyer. Good evening. For a generation now, the Beach Boys have been America's band. And their creator, Brian Wilson, our homegrown genius. Before his world collapsed from drugs and mental illness, Brian Wilson wrote harmonies so sweet, so complex and ahead of their time. Paul McCartney said once, he inspired the Beatles' best work. And now, next month, Brian Wilson's family is going to court to file something called a petition for conservatorship. They want the court to order Wilson's therapist manager out of his life and give them control over Brian and his money. Wilson opposes it, but the family says the sometimes bit worried man you're about to meet isn't like the real Brian they know. And they're convinced that his problem now isn't illness, it's the cure. Some uh, some people came into Brian's life and this doctor tried to kick them out and that was sort of what led to the led to them letting his family know hey there's some f-ed up shit going on here and you need to get in here and take care of him otherwise Brian is going to die because he was being wildly overmedicated and being abused and uh, that doctor ended up losing their license and uh, there's a law put in place so that that couldn't happen again, at least in the state of California. Yeah, there's a well with Brittany. They were they were deciding whether like that she would take uh, birth control yeah. pills. 
Which, like, how f***ed up is that that yeah. you don't get to choose whether or not you're taking birth control pills? Yeah. That seems, like, crazy. There's a... Oh, uh, uh, that's 20 seconds, by the way. There's a Netflix movie recently came out with Peter Dinklage, I think. Dinklage, Peter 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 Peter Dinklage. Uh, called I Care A Lot. Really good. Really good. And that's about... <laughs> and it's related to this topic. Peter Dinklage. Time. <laughs> and... and <laughs> that was a terrible it's, sentence. It's, dir- it's directly related to this topic. But not in a way... It is okay. about... Well, it is also about, out no, of you, time. No, you can't... Nope. Can't do it. Can't can't talk about it. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for that subject. So, <laughs> I mean, it's. I thought. I guess I thought it was obvious. It's it's it is. It's a relation to this topic. Is this top? It is about this topic. So Nathan, <laughs> you're up next. So, I would like to talk about Amy Coney Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett is on the Supreme Court. She's a justice uh, with the rights and privileges of any justice on the Supreme Court. And uh, she came out. Yeah, that is a hard name to pronounce weirdly. (laughs) Amy Coney Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett. I can do it. Amy Amy Coney Barrett. You want to go Amy Comey Barrett? Or like. Well, because you also have James Comey. Anyway, Amy Coney Barrett is uh, giving a speech and is talking about. The decision that was just made by the Supreme Court, we had a mini about it, about the Texas abortion bill and how she and the other two Trump appointees to the court and two other people let it slide by. The conservatives let it let it slide and stay in effect, even though that is not what would normally happen with the law. And she is all bent out of shape and really sad because people think that the Supreme Court has become a partisan institution. As the Associated Press reports, quote, Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett expressed concern Sunday. The public may increasingly say the court as a partisan institution. Justices must be hypervigilant to make sure they're not letting personal biases creep into their decisions, since judges are people too, Barrett said at a lecture hosted by the University of Louisville's McConnell Center. Wait, that McConnell? Oh, yes, it continues. Introduced by Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, who founded the center and played a key role in pushing through her confirmation in the last days of the Trump administration, Barrett spoke at length about her desire for others to see the Supreme Court as nonpartisan. Like, fuck you. Of course it has. You showed that it has. And so she is really upset because people think that she's not evenly taking care of the law. And, uh, you know, that's that's the fact. That's what she's doing. So... That's that's where we're at. We're talking about Amy Coney Barrett. We're talking about the Supreme Court and uh, and I guess go. Well, right. So did she forget how she got there in the first place? I mean, it's it seems like it has been partisan for a long time and that the niceties that they say about it being an impartial interpretation of the law as a judiciary institution mm-hmm. Like, that's all just been 
pretty words that don't right. mean anything. Right, you know, Supreme Court uh, Justice Merrick Garland would say, oh, oh, wait, no, no, he's not on the Supreme Court. Nope, that's wrong. No, I mean, it's no, one of those... the Attorney General. Right, so, and here's the way I feel about it. Don't say anything, Amy Coney Barrett, because you've got the job for life. What you get is the job. You get to have the job. You can do it real bad. You don't have to, like, pay attention to the law pretty much at all in your decisions. You can just do whatever you want, like you did. But what you don't get to do is have respect and the job. If you don't do the job in a respectful way, you don't get to demand respect and say, hey, that thing that I obviously did, I didn't do it. I think you probably had good reasons for everything you did on Bejo. Yes. Yes, that's it exactly. I had good reasons. Some of the harsher actions I took were forced on me by Central Command. I wanted to use entirely different tactics with the Bajorans. I wanted to rule with a softer hand. But my superiors didn't see it that way. F*** you. Right. <laughs> and uh, we, we already talked a little bit about you know, how right. horrendous this whole Texas situation is, but it just goes to bears repeating that, um, like, it is wildly unconstitutional. And they're supposed to be defenders of the Constitution. Like, it's the highest judicial body in the land. It's the Supreme Court. And they're supposed to be the ones defending the Constitution, defending people's individual rights... And, I mean, you know, that they've just, just decided to do whatever they want. For what it's worth, because obviously we talked about it on that mini, and my opinions on that abortion bill are pretty clear. Right. But, and on abortion in general and stuff like that. However, for what it's worth, my understanding of the reason why, and, and, and granted, it's a bit fuzzy because I am not a constitutional law scholar. <laughs> um, but my understanding of the the relevant laws and the case, uh, <laughs> the SCOTUS, what happened with this Texas bill is not that they decided it was constitutional when it wasn't. Uh, it was a procedural issue that was up for question. Right. And what didn't what didn't happen was that the judges didn't say. Well, we ought to just ignore this, but we're going to just shut it down because this law would be unconstitutional. Yeah, absolutely. What? And it's like this weird sort of like, um, not jujitsu exactly, but like it was technically right. Yeah, that it legally, I think that it, the move was like technically right, but like it was, I mean, it was clearly morally reprehensible and like misses the point and... It's one of those things, like, this is one of the main complaints about libertarianism. Uh, one of my main complaints about libertarianism, as someone who used to kind of hang out over on, sort of over there, is that, like, they prefer the letter of the law over the spirit of the law every freaking time to, like, an outrageous degree. And, uh, yeah, this is, that. that's my view of kind of what happened. I'm could be wrong on some of the details and misunderstanding some things, but anyway. No, I think I think you're mostly right. Because what ended up happening was the decision they made, they basically didn't make a decision. They they didn't say what? it's constitutional or unconstitutional. 
So we're not going to make a decision on it now. But what normally happens in these situations is, hey, we have this controversial law that is wildly unconstitutional, but maybe it is and maybe it isn't. And so what happens normally in those cases, like 100% of the time, is the court will look at an unconstitutional law, say, we're not going to rule on that right now, but we are going to stop it from going into effect. And what they chose to do was yeah. to let it go into effect because these justices know full God well that it's unconstitutional. And this is a way for at least a few months for them to uh, ignore citizens constitutional the 14th amendment constitutional rights and until it's right, ruled which are on clearly established right and if, until it's ruled on in a different court the women in texas are just absolutely screwed i mean anybody is women uber drivers so, anybody your neighbor your son one minute my my from what i understand the reason they didn't stop this bill is because of who can sue the that it's or, or who you can sue right it's right. just you it's not the state imposing the undue barrier it's individual citizens yeah basically it was created by republicans specifically to bypass the courts and uh, by by implementing these bounty hunters these vigilantes right. they get to go ahead and sidestep it it's it's pretty awful Justice Sotomayor plainly writes, quote, a majority of justices have opted to bury their heads in the sand. The Texas Act is a breathtaking act of defiance of the Constitution, of this court's precedents, and of the rights of women seeking abortions throughout Texas. Well, we, we all knew, like, it was, we all knew that abortion was the reason Amy Coney Barrett got nominated. Exactly. All of so, them. All of them. Shocker. But, Ka- well, I Kav- mean, but like. Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Barrett. They yeah. all were very clear on their stances. Yeah. That's time. You're right. There we go. <sighs> Supreme Court. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah. SCOTUS is cool. I, yeah. <laughs> all right. Pat, what cool. do you got? Well, so that makes it my turn. Yeah, it does. So we do plan to cover this more extensively in a longer episode, but I thought it would be weird to do essentially a news podcast where we're doing these lightning rounds and completely not talk about Afghanistan. Afghanistan. So do you remember Afghanistan? Trying to forget it. Come on. In brief. Um, you know, the U.S. has decided to withdraw. This was a long process that, like, for several months we were planning to do it. We said the dates by which we were going to do it. Um, it was left over from the last institution. And uh, now we went ahead and did it. And, uh, oh boy, it's kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Did, I mean, that's that's my intro. like kind of, okay. So, an interesting wrinkle in this uh, that that is relevant to the part that you were kind of saying. So Trump made the initial announcement of the withdrawal. Biden is the one who then followed up with a deci- like a an announcement to follow through with it, and and not knowing whether he would be president by the time that it would happen. Well, but also after he became president, he then like said, "Okay, we're doing it." <laughs> And here's the new date, and it's happening. So, like, from what I heard, and we'll have to fact check this or at least get a little 
buzzer or a chime to verify and a link in the doobly-doo. There, there was some senior, like, aide official uh, for Trump who said that Trump had no intention of actually leaving. It was a, all show. Right. And, and Biden, like, basically kind of called the bluff. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. According to an article with DefenseOne.com, President Donald Trump's top national security officials never intended to pull all U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. According to new statements by Chris Miller, Trump's last acting defense secretary. Miller said the president's public promise to finish withdrawing U.S. forces by May 1st as negotiated with the Taliban was actually a, quote, play that masked the Trump administration's true intentions to convince Afghan President Ashraf Ghani to quit or accept a bitter power-sharing agreement with the Taliban and to keep some U.S. troops in Afghanistan for counterterrorism missions. So, I know this is going to come as a shock to listeners of the pod, but it seems in this one case, Donald Trump may have been less than truthful. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Fact check, fact check, fact check. Right. So that's interesting. But anyway. Well, I just think it's recklessly irresponsible to make a promise for the U.S. that um, you don't know whether or not you're going to be president for when that promise has to get fulfilled. But in any case, I mean, I think it's great that we. (laughs) It turns out that Trump is pretty bad. I think it's great that we left. So it's hard for me to criticize him on the grounds of us leaving. I think we never should have been there in the first place. Yeah, the withdrawal is messy and like a lot of people got hurt. A lot of bad things happened. Weapons, Humvees, all sorts of things wind up in Taliban hands. And now the Taliban is fully set to oppress women and take over the country. But here's the bottom line. That's none of our business. Fool, I wasn't even talking to you. This is an A and B conversation. You know, you can see your way out of it. That probably never should have been our business in the first place. Like, the way to have approached this would be to have made different decisions in the early 2000s. Or in like, the 80s. Or when we were giving the Taliban or weapons the to be able to fight the Russians. You know, like, the, the it's one of those things where... We're going to do a full episode on it because it's so complicated. Sure. Um, I feel like Biden boned some of this and some of it is just like a framing of like, this sucks and Biden is in charge. So the buck stops with him. So ultimately it's his fault. But at the end of the day, we were in there for 20 years. This is never going to be an easy process to extricate ourselves out of the country. It well, just and wasn't, there, there was never going to be a, a point where it's going to be clean. There are some ways in which this was terribly handled, and it it is Biden's responsibility. Like, I'm not going to shield Biden sure. from criticism for not having withdrawn people out of the country sooner, for, I don't know, like, being too optimistic and by the way about the chances that the uh afghan national army would have had against the taliban and worth mentioning here in in these these points uh he had like the intelligence was available but 
it appears according to so uh jen briney our friend of the pod did an Ooh. episode on afghanistan a lot of good details in there but she she points out that uh we knew a lot of this stuff. We had a lot of data, but because so much of that war effort was privatized, and uh, th- which allowed those pr- company and, and part of that privatization allowed those companies to keep a lot of that data proprietary, which means that they could lie to the government about a lot of the information about what was going on there. So, yeah, that's real bad. Fun stuff, but like, yeah, there's a lot he could have done better, especially if he'd had better information. One well, the part and of the problem, th- the whole thing. That sorry, real quick. Um, basically, my only other thought on on this for right now, uh, like the whole in my head, Afga- our, the American presence in Afghanistan has been like fifty or sixty years of like a like a a, a butler wa- like slipping on ice while juggling six bottles of wine and a torch and a tray of turkey and like and. There's Benny Hill music playing in the background. It's just nonstop for 60 years. So, like, the only, like, yeah, I will take just finally just falling. Letting all of it fall on your face and ending this horrible cartoonish nightmare. Right. That's my last thought on it. I mean, I think all of this is right, and we're going to get into it in a full episode. It is awful what is going to happen to the people of Afghanistan. It is awful like there are things that are our responsibility that we just have to have done and have to do there are things that aren't our responsibility and there are things that are just we're going to be awful no matter what the thing that biden said that i think is valid is like but if afghanistan is unable to mount any real resistance to the taliban now there is no chance that one year one more year five more years or 20 more years the u.s military boots on the ground would have made any difference we went into the country without an exit strategy we finished the thing we were trying to do within what 18 months to know that bin laden wasn't there anymore and then that was the time this is like i don't want to lay out everything here because it is really really complicated but even with the evacuations and getting stuff out earlier, there was a fear from what I understand of once you start seeing Americans right. head for the airport, everybody starts heading for the airport. So you can't really get people out early because it's going to cause a panic no matter when you do it. Right. Well, and, and the one thing that really boils me about it, like I'm not here to defend Biden, but right. is all of the talking heads – that are doing political point scoring by saying like, oh, you know, it's it, it's such a terrible job. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be messy. Like, we never should have been there in the first place. Yep. And it was very naive to think that a country is going to hold itself together. That's time. All right. Oh, next well. till till <laughs> next time we record, gentlemen, we're, we'll get more into this. Yeah, there, there's going to be more uh, teeth to sink into this, I'm sure. Speaking of sinking teeth, Andy, what do you got for us? Uh, what? It's your turn. Stinky teeth. Um, okay, so my turn, my turn. Um, what I want to talk about, and, you know, I'm on the other side of the country in Ohio, so I don't necessarily know all the details, but over on the West Coast, California is having a gubernatorial recall election. Governor Gavin Newsom 
is being recalled because they got enough signatures, which is a surprisingly low threshold in California. But a lot of states have this option, but not all. So it's a majority to keep him. He has to get a majority to stay. Um, A majority of the voters have to say, yes, we want to keep him. And then the second question is if they all decide no, or if enough voters decide no, who would replace him? And the current frontrunner is a Republican by the name of Larry Elder. He's an African-American black gentleman. Uh, He jokes that he is the black face of the white nationalist party. The idea that there's systemic racism against black people is a lie. And when it came to the election, uh, the defenders of Biden were arguing, where is the widespread evidence of voter fraud? A fair question. Where is the widespread, forget about widespread, where is the evidence of police brutality against black people? If anything, the evidence shows the police are more hesitant, more reluctant to pull the trigger on a black suspect than a white suspect. It is a fraud. It is a con that is pushed upon this country. and We need to stop it. Which, Yikes. yeah, <laughs> though you are... And, like, I don't know if that's really something you want to joke about, but I guess go for it. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah, so that's what's going on. So, uh, a little bit of history. This happened once before in our lifetimes when the governor was elected. That was in a recall election. You're not going to have your mommy's run behind you anymore and wipe your little douches? Oh, no. It's time now to turn this mush into muscles. Oh, really? Huh. The governor being Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sure. Arnold. Uh, so I don't know hardly anything about Larry Elder. But yeah, so he's a conserv he's a conservative talk show host. He's kind of an asshole. Yeah, he's re- yeah, he's a uh you know, wannabe uh what's his name? Guy who died. Rush Limbaugh? Yeah, I was hoping not to say his name. Yes, I spoke a little Negro dialect there. I can do that when I uh, when I want to. Oh, well, then you shouldn't say what's his name. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, yes, Rush Limbaugh, um, he's sort of like that, um, and he brings that personality on the trail, he's, um, kind of, uh, Well, right, and, um, uh, generally, I'm just gonna say, I don't like white nationalists. I'm, hey, that's my hot take. Ooh, hot take. Take it out, you will, sir. Hot take. He also did, in fact, was a part of the big lie machine. Uh, He did help spread the false claims that the 2020 election was stolen from that last guy who was in office. Larry Elder is the front runner of the recall candidates. And take a look at this website that the campaign launched even well before polls have closed. Uh, It alleges California election fraud and offers a tip line for people. Uh, The allegation is baseless. It comes uh, days after Elder warned of unsubstantiated, quote unquote, shenanigans ahead of the recall election. And it, of course, echoes falsehoods former President Trump spread about the 2020 election. Yeah. Right. So, so California has this really interesting history. Like it hasn't always been the liberal stronghold that it is today. Um, for a lot of California's history, it was a red state. True. Arnold ran on a Republican platform. Sometimes history thrusts upon people roles they never thought they would have. I've known Arnold Schwarzenegger for many years. He's determined and decisive. In times of challenge, strong leadership makes the difference. 
I hope California will seize the moment and make Arnold governor. He was a Republican. Was a Republican. It's been a big demographics shift in California, which is why we have the impression of it being, and and it's gigantic, so it gets a huge number of electoral votes. Right. Yeah. And it's always swung blue, like, in recent history, but, um, you know, mm. even as early as, like, the 80s, it was still a Republican state. Well, and the concern has been that the Democratic Party has done such a terrible job with its progressive wing and dealing with progressive candidates and progressive ideas that Democrats in California are, they don't care. They're not coming out to the polls. They're they're not going to vote at all because the Democratic mm-hmm. Party hasn't give them, given them a reason to. Yeah, they're not really Democrats. The Democratic Party has been the closest thing that they like gravitate to the largest nearest large body in space but they are realizing that the democratic party has no interest in taking up those progressive (laughs) policies um it's a couple this is a this is a great great definition of my exact brand of politics that you've just given andy what I, yeah, I'm not a Democrat. I've never been a Democrat. It's oh, that I'm forced to yeah. ally myself with them because yeah. I don't have an option that I can actually vote for. And because the well, Republican and, Party keeps on running monsters. And maybe you'll realize, like, a lot of these California voters are realizing that the the nearest large object isn't good enough uh, and isn't worth gravitating towards. But anyway. as they're all destroyed by the Republican meteorite that slams into them because they didn't vote for right. the thing that was going to knock it out of the way. Sure. There's this really interesting sure. situation of water rights in California. Like they'll be able to get water rights to grow like avocados and, and almonds uh, is the other and, big one and almonds yeah. and uh, like people in residential areas can't even get water to their house they have to have like water trucks go around and like deliver mm-hmm. bottles of water to residences to keep people alive and the crazy thing is that like even in all the time that democrats have been in power they've never seen fit to do something about that situation like well, they they do I, not care no they're they don't um or rather they the current system benefits them more right why would like um it's not that they don't care it's that they have a vested interest in keeping it the way it is right and this is and one of those things where andy your criticism of the democratic party is 100% dead on you like you're absolutely right this is the the kind of insidious bullshit that they do or don't take action on because it benefits the uber wealthy. I just mm-hmm. real quick. I just wanted to say Ooh. then get back to your stuff. Also, Nestle has stolen literally millions of gallons oh. of water out of the San Bernardino forest uh, to sell across the country. Like Nestle, why are you taking water from California? What are you doing? Wow. The ocean is right there. Right. Like, the, there's the ocean. Another, like boat of problems. No, the, well, the, the ocean doesn't work. It's it's 
It's uh, salt water, salivated. obviously. Yeah. yeah, and and I would love to do a whole episode on on water rights and and water problems because it's really really interesting. Thirty and seconds, a lot of meat on that. But um, what's interesting is that none of that stuff is really what's motivating voters the most. One of the most uh, notable things that people bring up about this election is Gavin Newsom going out to dinner during COVID without a mask. That's the primary motivator here. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's smart and nuanced. That is terrible, but yeah. Whatever. I mean, yes, but also. Well, that's that's time, Andy. So I just want to say I want to say one last thing, and it's meta for those of you at home. We are literally recording this episode and the polls have not closed in California yet for the election. I will go ahead when I edit this episode and put in what ended up happening in that election. California's Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, survived an attempt to remove him from office on Tuesday, prevailing in the state's recall election, NBC News projects. Yeah, in fact, they probably literally close in about two minutes by my <laughs> clock. Hmm. <laughs> Andy chose the wrong order for his topics. If you had just done this last, well, we would have known. The, yeah, right. No, no, because they, they still have all those mail-in ballots. Yeah, they have to oh, count. Yeah, yeah, it'll be counting like um, all night. And, and also, like, the result of the election wasn't the point of the topic. Absolutely. All right. So, Nathan, you're next. All right. I would like to talk about uh, Mr. Steve Wozniak. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, he was the co-founder of Apple alongside Steve Jobs. But he was the technical guy. He was the one who did all the coding and everything. Steve was more of the big picture design uh, stuff. And there is a very good argument <laughs> to be made that uh, Wozniak never got the credit that he deserved uh, for what he did with that company and just for the personal computer in general. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is Steve Wozniak is launching what he calls a space garbage company. And uh, I'm here for it. So there is a major problem that is happening as we launch more and more satellites into space, especially now that SpaceX, which I love, is able to do it so cheaply. Elon Musk, one of the things he's doing is creating uh, something called Starlink. And basically, it's going to provide high-speed Wi-Fi anywhere on the planet you need it by these mini satellites that he's putting in space. So that way, if you live in a country that uh, has huge censorship issues, for example, you can still connect to Wi-Fi anywhere and they won't be able to stop you because there's no infrastructure on the ground. The problem with this is there are literally going to be thousands and thousands of these like small satellites in space and we are launching more and more satellites every year. What this is doing is these satellites will sometimes run into each other and they create garbage, essentially, the way Steve Wozniak would talk about it. And that garbage is essentially a barrier that makes it harder and harder for us to go into space because if like, if a lug nut is out there in space and it's traveling 10, 20,000 miles an hour around the Earth and that hits something that we try and launch into space, that thing is no longer going to be a viable rocket anymore. 
And so what Steve Wozniak is doing is he's creating a company that is going to launch satellites that are specifically what they do is they take this garbage that happens because these satellites are uh, now defunct or they have run into each other and they're all these these little pieces out there and it collects that garbage and it basically tosses it back towards the planet so it burns up in the atmosphere. And basically what it could do is it could save our spacefaring possibilities into the future because basically the more stuff we put up there, we are basically building a cage in space that makes it impossible for us to get past and get into space. So forget about living on Mars or whatever. So maybe mm. maybe this hey, is the wrong... Uh, Pat, did you, you want to start the timer? Oh, the timer's <laughs> been going. We're at two minutes and 30 seconds. But um, like this might be a cynical point of view, but if this is a company, where are they going to generate revenue from like that might be the wrong question to ask because this is a very important job and somebody has to do it but a company has to generate revenue or else they're not a company for very well, long i mean presumably a, some someone like you know elon musk or jeff bezos you know, or richard branson any of these billionaires who, who want to be able to fly into space right. um they they probably would chip in but also, I think, you know, world governments would have a vested interest in that, right? There's tons of countries, uh, the United Arab Emirates is uh, on Mars, I think, right? Or on, on the moon, they launched something recently. It's been a big deal. Like, there's more countries able to get into space, more people able to get into space. So, there's a, everyone has a vested interest in cleaning it up. Right. So, there are currently 27,000 pieces of large space junk up there. That does not include small stuff that we're unable to track right now. 27,000 pieces. You could sell that shit on eBay, too. Well, and moreover, like... Oh, this was in space, yeah. man. Well, what I think is when whenever SpaceX puts up a satellite, great. That'll be $50,000, please. Like, you, you charge people for launching a satellite... To both take care of the garbage that's already up there and to take care of the eventual problem that that satellite is undoubtedly going to cause in the future. Or or you could, uh, you know, block off the space up there so that like, and and rent out the space. So if you want to use it, you got to make sure you're going to have to clear it out. I want to emphasize I'm that kidding. like... Mm -hmm. There, there's an interview with Elon Musk where he says, like, this is not a today problem. Like, you know, you can send up rockets and satellites into space right now, and you're not going to hit something on the way up. It's it's the idea that eventually there will be enough that there is, like, a critical mass where it'll no longer be viable, and we want to avoid that before we get to it. But... Well, it would be nice to start heading off a few problems rather than dealing with them well after they are... Okay. Destroying the planet. Yeah, but here's the thing. F*** Elon. Because either he, he doesn't know this and should, or does know this and is lying. Because the problem is, once two pieces of space junk hit each other and explode into a thousand more parts, that causes a chain reaction. And it gets worse and worse and worse because all those pieces are going to start flying around in the atmosphere and then they're going to hit other satellites, which is going to cause more space junk. And the problem exacerbates itself over time. 
So it doesn't matter. It is a today problem because tomorrow we literally can't solve it. So f Elon and his bullshit because either he doesn't know it's true and should or is lying to us. So what I'm hearing, Nathan, is that you're going to start taking your car in to change tires and stuff before you get a flat? <laughs> we'll see. Touche. <laughs> Touche. But, but you know, I, I, I don't disagree. Like, if, if you want to be, you know, if Elon wants to be, like, a part of these sorts of discussions, then he needs to be ready to be considered an expert on it. I don't think that you would, cons you know, your car maintenance is different um, than, than all but demanding to be on the international stage of these discussions of space expansion you know you have to take all of this into account you, and and but but it's okay to be wrong or or, or to you know oh you, 15 or, seconds or, or to 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 um add information sure. you know as we get more um so i'm not saying i'm not killing elon it's just not okay to lie about the information we have i, I would love to True. get a fact check on that about the odds but it's that's time but the worst thing in space is not tiny pieces of junk. The worst thing would be an unstoppable chain reaction that turns a lot of non-junk things into junk. For example, if two satellites hit each other in just the right way. If satellites collide, they don't stop and fall out of the sky. It's more of a splash than a crash. Orbital speeds are so fast, solid pieces spray right through each other transforming the two satellites into clouds of thousands of little things still fast enough to destroy more satellites. This could trigger the slowest and most destructive sort of domino effect, a collision cascade. There's a car wreck on the highway, but we don't have to fix it now because that's tomorrow's problem. <laughs> All right, so it is my turn. So there's this interesting thing that ha that's happening across the country. Several places are implementing um, COVID vaccine requirements, mask requirements, all sorts of stuff. Um, like healthcare workers are going to be required to be vaccinated. Uh, federal workers are going to be required to be vaccinated. But in all that, one of the very interesting things that have come up is people protesting these vaccine mandates and particularly healthcare workers have been uh, coming out. Like, I wouldn't say the majority of them, but a significant number of them have been coming out to these protests in, like, you know, full surgical scrubs and protesting uh, vaccine mandates. And so that's the topic. Like, I, I just... I wish we had somebody to talk to uh, with a perspective on this, um, but I don't know how you work as a health official and you oppose vaccines. But, I mean, clearly there are people who have reached that conclusion. Well, uh, you, you dumb. That's what it... Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what, like... We, we... Not every person that puts on scrubs is a genius. Wow. Clearly, that's the case, because I mean, the the facts about vaccines in general is super in, and the facts about this specific set of COVID vaccines also in. So what the fuck are you talking about? I mean, not you. I'm saying them. 
what right. the f- are you nurses and other healthcare workers talking about? You are you you shouldn't be in front of patients if you like have this view. Well, there these are people who have seen the front lines of like what happens when you run out of ICU beds, and so that's what really surprises me about this. Are these? Can I ask? Because I'm not really sure on this. Are these? Are they objecting to the viability or effectiveness of the vaccines, or are they objecting to? A mandate. I mean, I think it is It is law. about the mandate, but um, I mean, I think a lot of these people are strongly anti-vax. Right. And I, mm. it's, it's the same, like, I'm, I'm trying to think about this, trying to be like just a little bit objective and man, is it hard, but like, well, I don't think that doctors should be fired for smoking, even though they know full well that they shouldn't. So, like, I, but getting the vaccine is absolutely vital right now in general over the, like, around the country. But if you are going to interact with patients, you can't be unvaccinated. You just can't because you're going to end up yeah. giving the disease to somebody and not knowing it. Right. I don't even, li- I don't even like that these mandates have a, like, we'll just get tested once a week thing because that's not enough. Right. How, what kind of numbers are we talking about here? Is this a lot of healthcare workers? Um. So really, I just saw like the brief news about it, but there are apparently numbers of them showing up to protests. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't think that that, that implies. That it down. I don't think that that implies that there's like a big percentage of healthcare okay. workers, but it's it is some percentage of healthcare workers. Honestly, like I think because. Other doctors and nurses have done, have said and published awful work and lied and, you know, fudged papers and and data. Like, we're we're always having to remind people that stuff like the the original paper that came out that that originally linked vaccines to autism was debunked almost immediately. Right. Um, but no one cares about that part because they hear what they want to hear. This is that, and that's the danger of the of the situation of these doctors doing this is that all of these dingleberry brains who don't want to get the vaccine because Bill Gates put a Biden chip in it or some shit. Right. I don't know whatever nonsense they come up with. Like, um, and and I mean. Whatever. So this we're, is a little uh, bit, it, it, it gives them that out. And this is a little bit off topic, but I mean, there are doctors that are prescribing people ivermectin like today, like right now. There's the doc, the doctor in uh, Cincinnati who sued to be allowed to administer ivermectin, <laughs> even though there is zero, zero, zero. Oh, no, that's that's not what happened in Cincinnati. The patient sued to force the doctors to give them ivermectin. The doctors refused, and then the courts temporarily said, you have to give this to them, which is definitely against the Hippocratic Oath. And then another court said, no, that's stupid. You definitely don't have to give it to them. Yeah. Um... But yeah, at any rate, like we're that that's I'll end up doing a fact check about this, but from what I can tell, in some parts of the country, it's up to seventy-four percent 
of hospital staff that is unvaccinated. And nationwide, it's more like 20%, which is unacceptably high. <laughs> like, why? How are so many of you so dumb? I don't get it. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. Ignore all the nonsense numbers these guys are furiously Googling as they're having this conversation. Here's some information you can trust. And as always, you can find out more in the doobly-doo. The American Medical Association released a survey in mid-June among practicing physicians that shows more than 96% of surveyed U.S. physicians have been fully vaccinated for COVID-19, with no significant difference in vaccination rates across regions. Of the physicians who are not yet vaccinated, an additional 45% do plan on getting vaccinated. And, according to the American Nurses Association, 88% of nurses surveyed are fully vaccinated for COVID-19, and among those who aren't vaccinated, 84% claimed it was because there wasn't enough information about the long-term effects of the vaccine. One more thing. When people complain about unknown long-term effects of the vaccines, you can respond with this. According to the CDC and others, historically, virtually no vaccine in history has presented with negative side effects after the first six weeks. This doesn't mean it's impossible, just that it hasn't happened before. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Fact check, fact check, fact check. Yeah, I like mean, I'm hesitant to to insult an entire profession, but it I'm does... not. I'm not insulting an entire profession. I am insulting everyone in that profession who's not vaccinated. Yeah, fair enough. It it just yeah. seems like it's such a small uh, risk reward proposal. Like it's it's so easy to see that like the people who are having bad reactions to the vaccine. It's like winning the lottery. It's like astronomically low. And you're going so, to place that risk above the risk of transmitting a disease that is killing people every day to your patients. Like, what? Uh-huh. So I want to, before we run out of time uh, on COVID, like, it's a COVID topic, but not uh, vaccine-related, but mask-related. Sure. There was a study recently came out, a, a paper on it. It's called The Impact of Community Masking on COVID-19, a Cluster Randomized Trial in Bangladesh. It's a really interesting study. Uh, they did a community-level randomized um, mask study, so... Like, instead of having individuals who are using different types of masks, they would have a whole community that was all using a certain type of mask and receiving certain types of, like, um, incentives and, uh, and, and I guess, advertising or whatever to, to persuasion to, to wear the masks. So, like... Um, that, I'm sorry, that's time. I, try, I tried to get in to warn you, but I couldn't. <laughs> all right. Wah, wah. If you want, uh, the yeah, we'll throw information <laughs> about that into the doobly doo. All right, nice. I believe that brings us back to Andrew. Um, all right, my last topic is not a news story at all because I'm so sick of the news. Right now. <laughs> That's fair. Actually, I wanted to talk about a book that I'm reading, and I haven't finished it yet, so. 
whatever. But I, I've I've heard this, I heard several interviews with this author about the book, which are what kind of got me interested in it. And the book is called "The Nordic Theory of Everything." Is that search- at all related to the Nordic track? Well, you better get on track. Then get on track with Nordic track, the world's best aerobic exerciser. Mm. No. Okay. Sorry. I don't know what that is. It was a uh, exercise workout. machine. Right. Yeah. So the book is called The Nordic Theory of Everything in Search of a Better Life. It's by a woman named Anu Partinen. Uh, it's, she's Finnish. So her name is Finnish and I can't pronounce it good. Um, but so the gist of this book. So she is this Finnish woman. She moved to America and married an American and stuff and started to realize, you know, Finland was at the top of the charts with, oh, the best country in the world. The hap- you know, all these all these different metrics for quite a while there. If the book was written and uh, published in 20, 2016, by the way, just to kind of gives a frame of reference. It's not brand new, but it's not super old. Anyway, um, what she outlines in this book, the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because I, th- I think she does a very good job of teasing out a lot of my political kind of orientation ideas, right? This idea of in, in Norway, a lot of people call it they're, you know, they, they look at that as, oh, socialism. They call it, they call it socialism. It's not really what socialism is. But the, the concept is that all of these, like, these, these systems that they have, that social welfare, the social safety nets are not there to, like, make everything easy or, or whatever, or to, to make people lazy or it doesn't diminish the, the ingenuity. What it does is creates a society where your relationships with people, with, with the, the, the people in your life and your community at large and your country at large is, is not really one of like dependence. Okay. So one of the like key focal points here is how in America, children are completely dependent on their parents for, for everything. And later in life, parents, when they're older, are essentially dependent on their children for everything. Their children have to then take care of the, you know, nursing homes or, or, you know, retirement care or funeral costs and all of these headaches. And that these things, and, and, and with kids growing up with, with parents, like, kids can just, can like, hop on the bus or hop on bikes and get around town and do stuff in Norway that like they don't have that kind of freedom in America. They don't they can't just go places without their parents and things like that. Okay. I'm not talking about five year olds. But anyway, so 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 the idea she presents is that these things Americans see these things as freedom because you are not tied to like the state or whatever. But Finland sees those as getting in the way of actually building good, strong, healthy, meaningful relationships with those people. Being in financially intertwined with these people in that sort of way adds this unnecessary and, and toxic stress to that relationship. And I think the best example is taking care of an older parent. I remember that when my grandfather was sick in bed, he had Alzheimer's and he was not 
he was not doing well. And I remember that like my, my dad and my aunt had to take care of all of his bills and finances and make sure that all this stuff was paid. And then when he did die, he had, they had to take care of the funeral and they had to take care of the... Po- so in Finland, that stuff just is done through the state. You just pay your taxes and the state takes care of the home and stuff. And you can just go and visit with your parent and not worry about, are they taking care of you? Do I need to get a better nurse in here? Do we need to double up? And So that, just as kind of a teaser, like I said, I haven't finished the whole book, but I, I really love the way that, because this is, I, I say a lot that I kind of tended towards the libertarian side of things for a, a lot of ways, and that's sort of it. This, this touches on, what I think of and thought of as libertarianism and the libertarian party is a show, but there's these concepts and stuff are really good. And this is application of these, of these concepts. And it plays out in a way that a lot of people think of as socialism because you pay these taxes and then the state does these things. But like those nursing homes are still privately run. It's just that they're paid by the state. Right. And things, you know, so it's it's anyway, I'll shut up now. But it's a really good book. No, you're good. I, I don't have that much to add to that. <laughs> right. um, except that <laughs> you know, they, they do take like fifty percent of people's paychecks. Like it is it is a huge tax increase, but you get something for that. Um people really have to have a sense of community or like nationhood or, um, like, brotherhood with their fellow man in order for something like that to work so you're not viewing it as a waste when these resources go to take care of the elderly or the infirm or, you know, people who are sick. Um, We have this kind of crazy idea that, like, um, you know, any money that goes to helping someone else is a waste is is resources that are not coming to me and i mean yeah that's really selfish i guess that's like bred into our like survival instinct as a competitive nation like everyone is in competition with each other like you know maybe we need to re-examine that as a nation right and i think uh, yeah, absolutely. I've talked about it before um, on very, if I think probably on the podcast, but certainly on Facebook. <laughs> um, but there's there's these two different types of freedom, and uh, Americans tend to really only consider one of those valid, which is the freedom from. Hey, Daddy, I want a golden goose. Here we go again. All right, sweetheart. All right, Daddy will get you a golden goose as soon as we get home. No. Bunker, how much do you want for the golden goose? They're not for sale. Name your price. She can't have one. Who says I can't? The man with a funny hat. I want one. I want a golden goose. You can't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And that is an important aspect of freedom and what it means to be free. But the other side of it is just as important. And that is the... Freedom to. What are you free to do? Because in America, you're. Oh, f. Um, 
we live in a, we think of freedom as being told by our employer what healthcare plans we can have. Yeah, you live three years longer in Finland than you do in the U.S. Maybe you do, and that's time. Yeah, I mean, I I was curious about like what things they are rated the best at because we kind of glossed over that, but we'll have to hit that another time. Yeah, you just get check. it's almost three and a half years, honestly. But yeah, that's yeah, we're done. But yeah, how how much longer they live? Yeah, like that's if nothing else, and that's that's from twenty eighteen, <laughs> like. Our numbers have gone down significantly since COVID started, but no, sure. oh boy, that that's not going to be good for. Our, so, our I mean, averages. last last I heard, our life expectancy in the U.S. has gone down by like a year and a half. Yikes! Hmm. So, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, all, all right, um, I would like to talk about this. This hit me kind of hard today, uh, Sarah. I uh, was working upstairs mm. and came out and uh, yelled down the stairs, did you hear that Norm McDonald died? And that hit me kind of hard. I mean, I we've talked a bit about sort of when I was learning how to be funny and stuff like that. And Norm McDonald was one of those comedians that I really, really loved. So... What I what I kind of wanted to talk about is he I like I will still go back and I will watch some like like get lost in a Norm McDonald like YouTube spiral, sure, um, and just like watch an hour uh, hour and a half of Norm clips or whatever. Having said that, Norm McDonald uh, was problematic in a bunch of ways. He was uh, in. It's weird because in some ways he was a very like old school comic and in some ways he was like always on the cutting edge. I mean, he would go on Conan O'Brien and tell a long old timey joke with a terrible punchline. I remember there was one joke that he like it took him like six minutes to tell a joke about a moth going into a psychiatrist's office at night. And the psychiatrist asked him, why are you here? And then the moth said, because the light was on. <laughs> My congratulations to anyone who stuck it through to the end. <laughs> I do like that one. And he spent he spent six minutes telling the joke, and that's the kind of joke like a three year old would tell. But of course, he breaks it up, and he's like like bantering with Conan and stuff like that. And it's great; his delivery is fantastic. And he just liked writing jokes. He had a uh, YouTube show for a long time uh, <laughs> where he would like give guests these like absolutely filthy terrible jokes um and some of them were great and some of them were awful and so like i like i was always expecting him to get canceled like i was i was convinced that he was going to be canceled at any moment because yeah i don't know how he managed to avoid that man he like he was homophobic at times he was uh like at least in the content of some of his jokes uh, he was not sensitive uh, to a whole bunch of things. Um, so I feel a, a little weird about it. I haven't, like, 
I feel like I haven't been able to like be full throated about my love of Norm Macdonald, but like on a day like today, I can't lie about it. I mean, he was a big part of me learning to be funny when I was younger. So well, and he wasn't that old. He was sixty one. Sixty one died of cancer. Well, but yeah, it turns out that he'd had cancer for like nine years and never let anybody know. No one knew. Because he was a mm. he was a relatively private guy. He kept to himself. <laughs> and and he had substance abuse issues constantly throughout his life. I mean I was gonna say he may have been too fucked up, he may he may not have known. <laughs> I I can't really speak to that anymore. Um I do know right. that he had he had sitcoms that he lost because he couldn't stay sober. Uh, he had a, a huge movie career for a little bit that he couldn't keep because he couldn't stay sober. Um, mm. And it didn't mean that he wasn't... So, like, if you loved Norm MacDonald, you had to, like, get little pieces of him from here and then here and then here, like, doing an interview, but he didn't have anything to push. Or he had this random, like, stand-up special that you could watch if you had this specific thing or whatever. So I don't know. It's like, yeah, a little hard to find. Yeah. Uh, his SNL stuff is still very funny. Well, and the reason why, so he did, he did SNL for a while and he ended up doing a weekend update and was phenomenal at it. And one of the things that I loved about him was he didn't take from anybody. And, when the OJ trial was happening, he laid into OJ pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember and, that. Yeah, and would do it over and over again on update until somebody uh, like an NBC exec came down and told Lorne Michaels, you need to tell him to knock that shit off. Or because this executive apparently was friends with OJ Simpson. And Lorne told him, I'm sorry, you, you can't do the OJ jokes anymore. And... The thing about being on a live TV show is you can do whatever the fuck you want once. Golden State Warrior star Latrell Sprewell suspended last week for attacking and choking his coach has hired attorney Johnny Cochran to represent him. At a press conference Tuesday, Cochran said that his client did not choke his coach and even offered a reward to help find the real chokers. Well, this week, after a Los Angeles restaurant refused to seat him, O.J. Simpson demanded and got $500 in compensation. In addition, the restaurant must now offer separate murderer and non-murderer sections. (laughs) And so he went back out the next week and laid into O.J. harder than ever before. And that's how he lost his job at SNL. And then, wow. I think three years later, they had him come back and host. So, <laughs> it, like, he, he tells a joke when he's hosting that, like... Uh, thank you very much. Uh, you're very kind. You know in the... Uh, what's that? Oh, yeah, no. No, you're absolutely right. That is my name. You know, when the people, when the people here ask me to do the show, you know, I got to say, I felt kind of weird, you know. I, I don't know if you remember this. But uh, I used to actually be on this show, you know? Uh, I used to do the uh, weekend update news routine, you remember that? And, uh, yeah. That's where I did the make-believe news jokes, you know? That was me. 
right? So then, a year and a half ago, right, I had a sort of a, a disagreement with the management at, uh, at the NBC. Uh, I wanted to keep my job, right? And they felt the exact opposite. So, so you see, they like, uh, they fired me because they said that I wasn't funny, you know? Now, now with most jobs, I could have had a hell of a lawsuit on my hands for that, but, but see, this is a comedy show. So they got me, you know, you know what? But now, this is the weird part, right? It's only a year and a half later, and now they asked me to host the show. So I wondered, I go, hey, wait a second here. Hey! I go, how did I go in a year and a half from being not funny enough to be even allowed in the building to being so funny that I'm now hosting the show? How did I suddenly get so damn funny? <laughs> it was inexplicable to me, because a year and a half, let's face it, is not enough time for a dude to learn how to be funny. <laughs> then it occurred to me, I haven't gotten funnier. The show has gotten really bad. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm funny compared to, you know, well, you'll see later. But... Okay, so let's recap. The bad news is, I'm still not funny. The good news is, the show blows. All right, folks, we got a bad show for you tonight. Dr. Dre, Snoop Doggy Dog, and Eminem are here. <laughs> that's funny wow well i uh I'm, I'm only surprised that part of his final uh go at oj there didn't include at least something about you know they told me that i wasn't allowed to say this anymore but bam <laughs> i can't remember i can't remember if he mentioned something about it but i think for norm it didn't matter he was gonna like say he was gonna say what he was gonna say Oh, yeah, but he would definitely, like, I feel like he's the kind of guy who would throw them under the bus, too. Yeah. Just, who, oh, sir. Who gives a shit. Certainly afterwards. He's not, yeah. At any rate, yeah, he will be missed. I enjoyed him um, as the voice of death on Family Guy. Mm-hmm. Sure. He was great at that. Uh, he um, he played a green blob on the Orville. The, or- the Orville, yeah, I love that show. There's just, like, there's nothing that he touched that wasn't, Great. So he was, I would say it is easy to call him a troubled genius. And I feel pretty confident in laying that claim. Rip. Mm. Yeah, because some of his takes were pretty not great. Ooh, oof, oofa doofa. Uh, I do know the moth community came off at him pretty hard. (laughs) Yeah. After that episode. I actually don't really... I can't really think of any actual instances. Um, I, like, I remember watching some stand-up specials seconds, and definitely way, cringing a few times. It, what? Ten seconds, by the way. Now five. Okay, yeah, I'm just filling anyway. So, so. Uh, anyway, watching his specials and cringing a lot. Rip but Norm I McDonald. I can't remember That's time. what he Rip said. Norm. Rip. 
in his book, O.J. Simpson says that he would have taken a bullet or stood in front of a train for Nicole. Man, I'm going to tell you, that is some bad luck when the one guy who would have died for you kills you. That's not a... You don't get worse luck than that. All right, speaking of ripping, uh, let's rip the Band-Aid off and do oh, our last topic. Pat? All right, so um, there's this concept of being like the current villain or like the uh, current opposition of where in politics it's like this game they'll play where one person is going to just be like the controlled opposition and oppose what a particular party wants just so nothing radical or in this case radically progressive can quite get through and what they've decided is that's going to be joe manchin Joe Manchin's also in an interesting position, being from West Virginia, that, um, you know, his base is not strongly progressive. But he has recently opposed a $3.5 trillion spending bill, and he's been consistently the uh, fly in the ointment for the Democrats to get stuff opposed. I think you guys have called him not a Democrat, which also would be fair. I think no, he's he's a Democrat, right? I he's the, he's a moderate Democrat, a centrist Democrat. <laughs> oh man, I here's here's what I think: the fact that we have a Democrat from West Virginia is shocking. Do I get incredibly frustrated with Joe Manchin? Uh, yes, I do, but I can't be surprised. I mean, he's trying to let's say he is working in good faith, which I don't think he is a lot of the time. I think he is pretty well beholden to a lot of corporate interests, and that is what is causing these things to happen. But let's say that he was like acting in good faith. I think he does a pretty good job of representing what the people of his state want. And that sucks. <laughs> uh, because he is constantly in the way of Democrats getting anything done, and the worst part about him is he wants to be bipartisan and everything, which would be great if you didn't have one party actively working to destroy the United States. It's the Republicans, dagnabbit. Uh, he doesn't bother to sort of take into consideration, like... With the $3.5 trillion infrastructure plan that's trying to get, uh, that we're trying to get passed, he doesn't understand why we can't, like, just, like, boot it. We, why do we have to do this right now? We have to do it right now because the $1 trillion plan that Republicans want is already passed in the Senate and waiting to go through the House. And that's the leverage that the Democrats in the House have to get the $3.5 trillion bill passed. Republicans aren't going to vote for it, but they won't block it. So, I don't know. So, I only have, like, a couple, I guess, nits to pick. One is that, first of all, Joe Manchin is not the only Democratic senator blocking this. Kristen Cinema is as well. Right. Notice we don't hear about her very much. No, we don't. I don't really know why that is exactly, other than they have chosen 
Joe Manchin to be the whipping boy on this project so that they don't have to follow through with it and have a scapegoat. Right. That's that's um, my whole point is that this is like a big scapegoat. It's all a part of a ploy from the Democrats. They never were going to do it in the first place. They wanted to make a quote unquote good show of it so that their progressive so that they would hopefully not lose the support of the progressive wing because that's their only way of clinging on to their power which is all that they actually care about like oh um, no we couldn't pass this thing oh well however i right right you know another th- i don't think you're wrong i mean i mean i mean like i certainly think some strategic members of the party including yeah. nancy are probably right exactly where you say they are well and uh, so, right so I, I certainly can't say that it's everybody who i'm describing right but but i'm glad you brought up nancy because knit number two is the the house could easily go ahead and pass that one trillion dollar infrastructure bill and get that moving but they're playing political football with it and we're going to end up with neither i don't have any problem with that because republicans are acting in bad faith constantly all the time 100 percent of the time anytime they have a chance to strategically make a move like that i'm fully on board with it Mm. anytime you have a chance to pass a bill that will help americans in a congress that doesn't look like it's gonna pass a lot of bills to help a lot of americans you fucking pass the bill you don't play political theater with our infrastructure nonsense that we need nonsense because it'll get it'll get passed anyway it, like it's, well, it'll get passed. No, anyway. it's not. It's to not be fair, be they are kind of loosely <laughs> defining infrastructure when they say infrastructure. The, They're saying in infrastructure the is things like healthcare three point, or uh, like childcare. Mm-hmm. Well, so those things there. That's not a. It's not a wild leap by any means. And it's, also, they're calling it human infrastructure. Well, but also worth noting, those are the things in the three trillion dollar one that's getting held up. You, the stuff in the one trillion dollar bill is. Make good on this drunken boast. Truman authorized the one-time printing of the largest denomination currency ever, a trillion dollar bill. Stuff that everybody wants and we all need, and they are holding it hostage. That's a- while they play a game with us that they already have set up that they're not going to win. They already know they're not going to win this because they're controlling the person who's keeping it from happening. So they have decided they don't want to pass. The Democrats have made the decision they don't want to pass either bill. They won't pass the one in the House until they pass the one in the Senate, and they refuse to pass the one in the Senate because they're holding up Joe Manchin as the stopping block. Wait, this I think is you're, the Democrats. I think you have that opposite. They they passed the one they passed the one trillion in the Senate already. That's ready to go. The House just has to vote on it. But it won't pass the Right, but they won't vote on it in the House until the Senate passes this other one. Correct. Which they know that the Senate isn't going to pass because they're the ones making sure it doesn't pass. It's right. kind of tongue-in-cheek to call that infrastructure, though, right? Like, when you think infrastructure, you're thinking, like, bridges. You're thinking, like, well, just uh, because homes. Right. I think it's it's fair to say that Democrats are trying to stretch things a little bit for... All these different priorities that Joe Biden has. And maybe that's a great thing to spend money on. I don't know if labeling it as infrastructure is exactly the right way to get that done. But well, sure. And, and the thing is, it doesn't cost anything. They've they've figured out a way where it will be neutral by 
basically reversing the Republican tax credits for the uber rich and taxing rich people. And then it's taken care of. Turns out we have 40 seconds, by the way. Turns out that a study just came out that uh, the one percent in this country hoard $183 billion every year, every year that is, uh, in taxes that they should be paying. So there's $1.8 trillion over the course of 10 years right there. I've so, seen things talking about taxing churches, like um, that the yeah, let's do it. religious exemption for churches costs billions and billions of dollars. The, sa- the satanic church pays its taxes. Satanic church is great. Everybody should worship Satan. And they're way more moral that is time. than not Satan. satanic churches. <laughs> mm. We did it, I'm everybody. So, I'm so glad that that was where time got called. <laughs> hey, if, if you want to talk about the Church of Satan, or I think it's the Satanic Temple is the one that's been great, yes. you can go ahead and make it uh, your precious moment. Precious moment. Mm, I didn't even think about a precious moment because I was too busy trying oh. to get topics. There you go. Well, Crap, the right. satanic, uh, satanic Temple, I just gave it to you. Oh, You're there welcome. we go. Yeah, sweet. Just who is Patrick, presidential candidate or Satan worshiper? You be the judge. Um, I can go first. So let me let me go ahead and take you guys back in time to the year 2000. It's a tumultuous time for our country. Uh, the 9/11 attacks haven't happened yet. Um, the Matrix came out. The Matrix. Or maybe that was in. maybe that was 99. Well, I could get it on VHS. That's the important thing. Right. And uh, a young Nathan moved out to Boston with a friend and uh, got his first apartment. It was a terrible apartment. I lived literally in a dining room. One of my walls was a curtain. Having said that, I would sometimes stay home from work. So anyway, at the time, I'm, I'm 21 years old. I'm living in Boston. And every once in a while, I take a day off work because I either am or pretend to be sick. And I'll stay home, and uh, Nickelodeon is playing a new show called Blue's Clues. And uh, it was dumb. I was definitely 20, and I was watching a show intended for very, very young children. Uh, But I was sick, and I was eating cereal on the couch, and there was nothing else on, so I was watching Blue's Clues. I did it, not not a ton, but enough where I understood that we are going to talk to... Mr. Salt and Miss, Mrs. Pepper, uh, we're gonna go ahead and uh, get the mail. Uh, we're gonna very excited about the mail every day. Oh my god! And there's some great songs. And Steve, our good friend who helped Blue solve these clues, was just a a force for good. He would ask you uh, what you thought about the clues. He would like praise the fact that you uh, correctly guessed that. When uh, the clues were uh, a napkin and a cookie and a glass of milk, that Blue wanted to have cookies and milk as snack that day. He would say, huzzah, you've done well. We just figured out Blue's clues. We just figured out Blue's clues. We just figured out Blue's clues because we're really smart. And so anyway, this week, out of nowhere, after 20 years, Steve comes out. And drops a message for all of us, and it was weirdly heartwarming. It will like, it gave me 
I like I'm a little ashamed to say this, but also let's say not at all ashamed. It gave me some goosebumps. It was nice uh, because in the show, when Steve left, he was like, well, uh, we don't do <laughs> like they didn't do plots from episode to episode on that show. So just out of nowhere, he was like, well, I got into college. This is my brother, Joe. He's your new best friend and I'm out. And he got on a bus and left forever. So this is him, like, coming back. The actor is bald now, so he has to wear, like, a little Blue's Clues hat. And uh, it's just delightful. So, uh... Hi. You got a second? Okay. You remember how, when we were younger, we used to um, run around and hang out with Blue and find clues and talk to Mr. Salt and freak out about the mail and do all the fun stuff? And then one day I was like, oh, hey, guess what? Big news. I'm leaving. And we didn't see each other for like a really long time. Can we just talk about that? Great. Because I, I realized that, that that was kind of abrupt. Um, I just kind of got up and went to college. I guess I just wanted to say that after all these years, I never forgot you. Ever. And I'm super glad we're still friends. Thanks for listening. You look great, by the way. Whatever it is you're doing, it's working. So uh, that is my uh, precious moment for the week. It's a... Uh... I'm going to be nice. honest, that, that video kind of bummed me out because he, like, says, like, oh, yeah, you're, uh, there's all this stuff that he did, and, like, oh, but, like, it's it's so good to see, like, all that you've accomplished, and meanwhile, I'm, like, sitting in my apartment, like, right. <laughs> like, in, in the dark, like, with Cheeto dust all over your chest hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm, like, like, oh. You said it, Steve. Steve. Mm. But no, I mean it was it was very sweet for sure. Yeah, I never watched Blue's Clues and I didn't watch the video. That's fair. Well, opinions. I have a video for you guys. It is this musician. He's like a, an Australian musician named uh, Tom Carty, and uh, I don't want to give away the plot, but um, I want to share this with you guys and get your reaction. So let's do it. That's about the gist of it, but uh, I can link the thing so you guys can see the whole thing later. Absolutely. But, um, I'll, I'll, I'll drop a chunk of it into the app. When my roommate comes into the room looking for his car keys, I don't say it yet. And when he gets me off the couch to check underneath the couch cushions, I don't say it yet. No. And then when he says out loud, I wonder where my car keys are, I still don't say it. I still don't say it yet. But then he asks me, do you know where my car keys are? I look at him in his face and I say, have you checked your bylaws? Get up, get up, get up. Um, but it, it, it got me right in the uh, funny bone look at look at all those youtube tabs you have open uh, so much youtube we're not gonna talk about that <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, but so just like a very funny comedy video that brought me joy this week. So I'm gonna go just a little bit dark with my precious moment, but it's a good thing, sort of. Okay. Um, so <laughs> recently, um, Prince Andrew has come, uh, gotten back into more hot water regarding, um, Jeffrey Epstein stuff. <laughs> sure. And, um, this is a bold, precious moment reason, so far. Yeah. The reason it's a precious moment is, and it's still sort of dark, but he <laughs> basically, he <laughs> off to mommy's house to, he like just disappeared to one of the queen's estates and like is kind of just hiding out there. Like, Presumably, I think there's talk that he's asking for money or legal help, <laughs> but um, it just seems full on tail between legs retreat like <laughs> mode. And um, I, I know that that's just going to be one long beep for most of the audience. But if you subscribe to us on Patreon, you could hear all of the expletives there. Didn't they like excommunicate him out of the royal family or something? I, Not exactly. I no, sure know that they don't like to talk about him anymore. Sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's not in in high favor. Um, but he is not out of. He wasn't kicked out of the family or anything. Uh, you might be thinking of Prince Harry and Angela Merkel. Hmm. What's her name? I should know this. Yeah, Ang- Angela Merkel. No, that's the German. Prime Minister. Right. Oh, or no, the former one, down. I believe. <laughs> yeah, she just she just stepped down or, or, you know, was replaced. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. After 16 years, but that's not my precious moment. Anyway, the point is, um, yeah, Harry and his wife left the family and their inheritance and everything. But uh, anyway, so yeah, and uh, Prince, like, just the, um, I am hoping that we get some form of evidence somehow that Epstein didn't kill himself because we all know Epstein didn't kill himself, and that's my precious moment. <laughs> so that is that is very precious, Andy. <laughs> Fair enough. It's precious because sex traffickers should face trial and be... I don't want to say that they should be exposed because that's a little too on the nose. Uh, last thing, uh, Anonymous hacked the uh, uh, Texas GOP website and replaced it with a fundraiser oh. for Planned Parenthood. Nice. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty good. Uh, nice. Nice, nice. But in the meantime... Uh, Way to go, Anonymous. Really... <laughs> uh, why don't you go ahead and let us know who you are so I can buy you... I don't really drink like a chocolate chip cookie instead of a beer. And a, a anyway, I need to come up with a catchphrase. Hopefully we gave you a bunch of stuff to think about. Love you, bye. Bye. It's time for everybody's favorite part of the episode, the part where I tell you to go to Facebook, Twitter, and if you're so inclined, Patreon, to let us know what you think of the podcast. We genuinely would love to interact with you, but in the meantime, hope you enjoyed this latest lightning round, and we will see you soon. Love you, bye.
Wait, is that me stealing Pat's catchphrase? He's very litigious. Uh, where did anything? Oh, there he is. Yep. Oh. You still going? Because your audio in, cut out. In and out. Yeah. His audacity got it, I'm sure.